Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Quirology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Quirology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Quirology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 49 who we are as children of God gets covered up with personality. Most often because we can't find our plug in a larger society or a larger culture. Suzanne Stabile is a highly sought after speaker and teacher known for her creative approach to Enneagram instruction. As an internationally recognized Enneagram master, Suzanne has conducted over 500 Enneagram workshops over the past 25 years. She's the author of the newly released book, The Path Between Us, An Enneagram Journey to Healthy Relationships, and the co-author of the book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. Suzanne trained under Father Richard Rohr and spends her life helping people learn the transformative power of the Enneagram. I'm so excited to have Suzanne on the podcast today to talk about the ways the Enneagram intersects and doesn't intersect with uh, with queerness. Um I think like as I was as I was like preparing for this episode I was and and we talk about this I was I was thinking about like well what what in particular about the Enneagram is specific to being queer uh, and we kind of dive into a little bit of the complexity of of that conversation because it, it like does and uh, it, it doesn't at all uh, so there, there's some really good stuff in here uh, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram you may be a little bit lost in this episode uh, but I would say go ahead and listen anyway, uh, and then go explore, uh, do some research. Uh, Suzanne has a ton of great resources on her website, uh, lifeinthetrinityministry.com. Uh, the book that I mentioned, The Road Back to You, uh, her first book is an incredible starting point as well. Um, so those are some good places to start. Uh, whatever you do, uh, don't take an Enneagram test. Uh, the, the Enneagram is, and Suzanne talks about this, and the Enneagram is meant to be learned orally. Uh, it's, it's an oral tradition. Uh, and and um, tests, tests don't actually tell you your number. Um, yeah, so before before we jump in, uh, like I mentioned last week, Chorology is going to be at Wild Goose Festival this year. Uh, I'm recording the first ever live episode of Chorology uh, on the podcast stage at Wild Goose. Uh, it's July 12th through 15th in Hot Springs, North Carolina. Uh, and if you're interested in hanging out with us, uh, there's a bunch of people there who've been on the podcast. Uh, Kevin Garcia, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're actually, uh, Kevin, Dr. Robin, and 
I, along with a few other people, are doing a panel on uh, internalized homophobia, queerphobia, and transphobia. So uh, you, you also won't want to miss that. Uh, come hang out with us. Uh, if you're interested, uh, you can get a 25% discount on tickets by using the code GOOSECAST18, G-O-O-S-E-C-A-S-T-1-8 at wildgoosefestival.org. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. Uh, so yeah, come hang out with us. Um, yeah, with that said, let's just go ahead and dive in. Suzanne, hi, welcome. Hi, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining me. So to start, this is a question I ask everyone, uh, but how do you identify? And then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Hmm. Uh, well, I identify as a beloved child of God who can do nothing to get God to love me more or nothing to get God to love me less. I also identify as a straight woman, 67 years old, uh, married to an incredibly good human being, mother of four, grandmother of seven, and about to be eight grandchildren. And the reason I have all of those identities is because those are all ways that I see myself in the world because in Enneagram language, I'm a two on the Enneagram. So everything for me is relational. And I have struggled actually in the last year since all my children, you know, left home. I've struggled to know um, who I am without those identities. And the only thing I can come back to is that like everybody else, I'm a beloved child of God. We're, we're kind of talking about the Enneagram today, and I feel like that question of identity ties in so well with the Enneagram, um, and also that idea of being a beloved child of God, because it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in all of these other identities, which are important, and um, that that defining bit of we're beloved children of God is easy to lose sight of, I feel like. I think so, too. I think I think this. Um, I think everybody I've ever taught or encountered wants two things, to belong and to have a life or live a life that has meaning. And I think there are more choices with living a life of meaning than there are individual choices in terms of belonging, because belonging is a mutual thing, right? Like, uh, we all want to belong, and yet we may want to belong to a group who uh, doesn't have space for us. And I, I also think that most people, uh, maybe as high as, I don't know, 85 or 90 percent, want to be known. And so I think all identities after I'm a beloved child of God have to do with our desire to be seen and known. And um, I'm grateful to live in a time where um, at least the people I spend most of my time with are um, trying to create space for knowing people. I, I mean, I think about that in my own life and in, in like that desire to be known and like so many of the ways that we label ourselves are around that pursuit of being known and um yeah. I, I, so I, I'm curious because like for people who maybe aren't super familiar with the Enneagram, um, could you just give like maybe a very kind of brief like 
bird's eye view of how you understand the Enneagram, kind of what it is and um, how it works in your life and in others' lives. Sure. Sure. So um, I I think I want to add something to the first question so I can build on that for this question. And to the first question, I want to add that I have the way my faith uh, upholds who I know myself to be comes in part with the gift that I grew up in a denomination and in a home where um, I never felt like there wasn't room for me, right, wrong, or indifferent. I I never felt like um, I could mess things up and and God wouldn't want me. So when I, uh, you and I met at Wine Christian, and when I, th- when I think about the stories that I hear there, um, I've been at the last two, then I'm aware that I have this unending blessing of having been brought into a very spacious understanding of who God is and who I am and who I am in relationship to God. And I'm aware that not everybody has that. And so I don't want to, um, I, I don't want, want anybody to hear that initial answer as everything's just rosy and cheery and um, b- because it's much deeper than that. And because I grew up with a place to stand, I spend my life trying to create uh, places for everybody to stand. I try to set a table where everybody's welcome. Uh, that's kind of what I'm about in a way. So now coming from that to talk about the Enneagram, I'm an adopted child. And my parents uh, had um, biological children, two boys. My dad was a doc. Uh, the boys were 18 and 15 when he delivered me. And I was available for adoption and they adopted me. And there's a whole great story around that that we don't really have time for. But what I do want to say about that is because my brothers looked like my parents and I didn't look like anybody, I can remember as a child trying to understand why people act the way they do and trying to find people who acted like I act because I, too, was looking for belonging. So I've had a journey of uh, wanting to understand my place, too, um, since my biological parents didn't have a place or space for me. And I'm really thankful for that because it, um, it, it supports my call, I think, to create space for everybody else. So now having said all that, let me say that the Enneagram is by definition, by my definition, nine ways of seeing the world. It's ancient. It's been around for a long, long time. It uh, seems to be reductive to people who don't know anything about it. I actually think it's very expansive. But in those nine ways of seeing the world, uh, the, the way that the Enneagram is broken down is based around the three central intelligences, which are thinking, feeling, and doing. And which one of those is dominant and which one supports dominant and which is repressed. And I think um, most of the trouble that we have culturally could be partially, very partially addressed by people understanding the Enneagram and bringing up their repressed center 
rather than just relying on their dominant center and the center that supports the dominant. So I'm going to just give you a brief example. I'm feeling dominant and doing supports feeling as a two, and I'm thinking repressed. And that, you know, I'm, I'm smart and I've made good grades and I teach all over the country. I've written two books. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a thinker, but I'm thinking repressed in that without a full agenda and even within it, I spend most of my time thinking about relationships. So, um, being feeling dominant means that when I walk into an event like my Christian, where there are a lot of people who come to that event in order to uh, have a place, right? Like there's place for people who don't find place out in the culture at Wanker. And when I'm there, I'm aware and humbled by how much I have to learn about um, all things having to do with seeing the world beyond the nine ways of seeing the world that I uh, teach about and talk about. And that requires that I bring up thinking. And so um, I, I think it would be fair to say that I spend my life teaching people about who they're not because I teach about personality, not essence. And who we are as uh, children of God gets covered up with personality, most often because we can't find our place in a larger society or a larger culture. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm. I'm really. I'm really curious about this because because you're using language of like dominance and repression and like I, I understand like the context that you're using is in is within the enneagram, but I can't help but thinking about ideas of like dominant culture um, and then repression, especially as queer people. Um, having to kind of repress, at least many people who grew up in the church, having to kind of repress a certain part of ourselves in order to fit into dominant culture. And I, I'm curious, do these things show up maybe on a systemic level within cultures as well? Like, are you, like does that connection make sense? Absolutely. It absolutely does. So, so... Uh, and, you know, now this is, uh, I've never said this sentence. And anytime I say something for the first time, it's real important for everybody to know that it could sure be wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm talking on a really deep Enneagram level here, too. So that may not be wise. So now that I've told you I could be wrong and it might not be wise, I'll tell you what I was going to say. Um, Enneagram numbers have been assigned to countries. Um, I, I didn't do that. I trust Richard Rohr, who I learned the Enneagram from, Father Richard Rohr. And um, he and most Enneagram master teachers say that the United States is a three country. If that's true, then what happens in the United States, what happens within threes is threes are both feeling dominant and feeling repressed. At, uh, sixes are thinking dominant and thinking repressed. Nines are doing dominant and doing repressed. So uh, if we're a three country, then what that means is that in, in that huge context, so certainly there are nine anagrams in every community, you know, nine anagram numbers in every community and everything. So this is reductive, in fact. 
But I think um, if this is a three country, then we take we collectively take in information with feelings, but then we don't use feelings to decide what to do with that information. We just use thinking and doing. And I I believe that most most people I know take in uh, information about and from and within probably the queer community, uh, but maybe not every number uses thinking to process that information. Every number doesn't use feeling. Every number doesn't use doing. And so there's imbalance, right? To be balanced, we would have to use thinking and feeling and doing. And people can learn to do that with some work, but we kind of all, depending on your Enneagram number, prefer to use two of the three. And so I think if we, if we, which is never going to happen, but if, if we collectively could find balance in all three, I think it would end a lot of the discussion about who belongs and who doesn't and who's in and who's out. And um, so since I know that that's not going to happen on a big scale, my little work in this great big world is to try to teach the Enneagram in a way that people will be intrigued by the idea of balance between thinking, feeling, and doing, and then want to do better about trying to achieve that balance in their own lives. And the people I know who really work at that have a lot more mercy and grace to offer other people than the people who don't. I, I, like, I'm, my mind is going a lot of different places right now, but I think like... So, so I was in your Enneagram workshop where we met, as you mentioned, and and something that you brought up was that your son is gay. And, and that's actually kind of the the thing that got me to like, oh, I wonder if she'd be interested in being on this podcast, um, because I, I haven't heard the Enneagram talked about within a queer context specifically um, that much. And, and so I'm curious about maybe those intersections in your own life um and whether like we were talking a little bit before this like i i struggle with kind of like the the particularity of queerness the universality of the enneagram how those two things kind of fit together um so this is kind of a fumbling question um <laughs> But with with that's all of, so great. Yeah. I'll probably have a fumbling answer, okay. <laughs> and then we'll be we'll be good together. Great. <laughs> you know, let me just say, Matthias, that I'm far more interested in the questions than the answers anyway. In life, in life specifically, like, do you know what I'm saying? I I think the questions we ask are are how we're going to get somewhere. And very often, uh, every answer that anybody ever gives is. Um, determined by their own life experience. So the questions are what really matter. And I can speak to a question, but I, these are questions that are so big that I think if we can live, if we could all live into the fact that there's not a right and wrong answer, there's where we are on the journey in response to the question. And if we could take that being right and being wrong out of all of this, then uh, the whole insider-outsider thing might be uh, minimized rather than maximized. So I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I just, you know, I don't have any hard and fast answers, so it's not important to me that we fumble through the questions and the responses. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I so I guess my my question is then with the nature of how fumbly this is in your life experience knowing that your son is gay have you had any kind of insight around how the enneagram may show up in a different kind of particularity for queer people than it might for their straight counterparts yes so the answer is yes um the ways are not terribly significant though um so let me just say that um we're all human beings and with the mystical nature of the Enneagram, and I, I, I don't know, you know, there are a lot of things we don't know. I did a podcast yesterday and somebody said, well, where did it come from? I said, I don't know. Uh, it's ancient wisdom of unknown origin that we're just trying to work with as it's been handed to us, me in particular, what I have to work with since the 1970s. So I, um, I, I think that every human being fits or falls into one of these nine ways of dominancing and into one of these triads, which is head or heart or gut or body centered. And um, there isn't really a lot of gender uh, discussion or difference in the Enneagram. There are uh, two or three places that I could talk about that I think might fit as the discussion around the discussion that you're uh, starting with the question. So I would say this culturally, uh, our culture is very fond of male apes, uh, regardless of uh, how they identify, I would say, because male apes are strong and determined and they have answers for things and they are good leaders and they're smart thinkers and they pop up and lead and people are glad for that and happy to follow them. If you put those same gifts in a female ape, then uh, culturally she's referred to as a bitch. So that is a distinction that I talk about a lot that I'm not at all sure um, would actually change within the queer community. Um, there is also discussion around the fact that male twos and male fours are sometimes seen as um, too soft. Um, they're both feeling dominant. Fours are the most complex number on the Enneagram. Uh, I think there are fewer fours than any other number. And um, so as you might imagine, uh, we really like female twos because they're, they're caregivers. And they're generous and they love you and they want to know about your story and they know the stories that make up people's lives and they want to take care of you and all that. And sometimes when you put those gifts in a male, then he's seen as too soft. Fours have a, a wide range of response to life. I think their highs are too high and their lows are too low. And I think uh, that culturally we sometimes don't have room for the intensity of feelings in a four for male. Um, I would welcome the opportunity to teach the uh, an, an all-day know-your-number workshop in the queer community. Uh, there are lots and lots of members of the queer community who participate in workshops here in Dallas at our center and that I 
or whom I meet when I'm teaching the Enneagram around the country. So um, I, I, I certainly have not picked up in that teaching um, that there's a big difference. People don't ask me questions about that. People don't raise their hand and say, well, you know, I'm gay, so I don't think that way. I think this way. I don't hear anything. I just don't hear it. So the only way I I know where I might uh, be better a year from now when you invite me, perhaps, to be on your podcast again, would be if I had, had the opportunity to uh, teach and then spend an afternoon unpackaging after that what happened in, in a uh, gathering of the queer community. Does that make sense? I don't. I don't know where to get the answers right. uh, other than that. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's something like, as I was kind of prepping for this, this conversation, I was, I, I've, I have, I feel like I've dabbled in the Enneagram for the last six years. Um, so I feel at least fairly familiar with it and in thinking about these kind of questions of gender and sexuality and, the ways that they might particularly show up for queer people in the Enneagram as opposed to straight people or or larger culture, I was having a really hard time kind of forming around that as well. I think you bring up an interesting point, though. These cultural ideas that are then imposed on people um, as opposed to the Enneagram showing up differently for different genders, for different sexual expressions. Um, so my oldest daughter is uh, straight and an Enneagram eight. And she's a smart, strong, beautiful woman who's an eight. And culturally, she struggles because people push back a lot because she's an eight. My son, my youngest child is a son who's gay, and he's a four on the Enneagram. And he struggles because he is a gay man who is a four who grew up in Texas with parents who are both in ministry. And that's, a, that's quite a journey right there. And what I would say is I think the cultural pushback to my straight eight female daughter and my gay four son is pretty much the same. I think they've both suffered equally, I would say. The next thing I want to say is that when you come to our center, I, I, I've done uh, several events now where name tags also had pronouns. If you come to our center, your name tag often will ask you to put your Enneagram number on it. If we don't do that, then at our center, because I do so much Enneagram work there, my husband and I do other uh, work there as well. And he is uh, uh, teaches spiritual practices and spiritual living and, uh, you know, a, a lot of things having to do with the fact that he was a Catholic priest until he was 40 and has had a spiritual director since he was 14 and is a real one who is committed to and practices classical spiritual disciplines and all that. But at our center, we don't, people don't come in the door and talk about their jobs. They come in from all over the country and introduce themselves to one another and talk about their Enneagram number. And here's what I would say. If people from the queer community come to our center, their Enneagram number 
and how they see the world and how much Enneagram work they've done and how it's helped them or hasn't would come up long before how they identify. And I think that isn't a bad thing. I, I, I'm not, I don't know if it's a bad thing, but, but what I'm aware of is that once you skip where you work and what sports team you're for and um, the, the web, you know, the talk that we normally have, then we already dive deeper once we get into any RAM language. And that stuff comes up much later. And I don't know where identity would fit in that. Yeah, I, like I'm, I'm hearing. So, like, I'm as as you're talking, like, I'm, 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 I'm wrestling between these kind of these kind of two ideas of of hearing about, like, so the the enneagram gives us like a really kind of deep understanding of of who we are and also who we are not, and at like almost like a a base level. And so, so I'm hearing that and, and the deep importance of kind of like the, the similarities and the differences that we share in the nine types, our ways of seeing the world. And I'm, I'm hearing the kind of error wanting to, to place and put conversation around like particularity of, of queerness. Um, and, the, and I think this is the wrestling of, of this whole episode of, and even in my own life of like, almost wanting to say like we really are all people and wanting to highlight particularity in there as well in other forms of identity um and i i guess i'm just just sitting here kind of being like huh there's really interesting stuff in here and this is oh i'm sorry where do you think particularity fits in wanting to be known hmm yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I think because I, that brings me back to the, to the kind of the question of like, how do you identify what I always open with is, is like those labels. So I identify as a gay cisgender man. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Like, um, those are all labels that bring me into a particular context and community way of being known that is very specific to my own life. Right. But being a gay man in, in my way of being in the world and in most, in our center where I teach, being a gay, what'd you say? A gay male? Seven? Yeah, cisgender male. Yeah, seven. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. And if you walk in the MICA center, which is our center, people will be far more interested in the fact that you're a seven. Right? Yeah. So, so are our communities built around this desire that we all have to be known and looking for a common language to speak. And is the queer community reacting to the fact that the common language, common in quotation, that we have spoken for a long time does not include them or you, does not include you, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, are we in fact all looking for being known, being seen for who we are is another way to say that. Um, being respected for our difference, uh, being seen as having something to bring to the table specifically in light of our difference. You, you know, you and I are very different. I'm 67 year old straight woman, and we have in a lot of ways that we can find common ground. And I 
and helps people find common ground. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for creating spaces where everybody gets to stand as they are. What would you say, like some kind of specific ways the Enneagram then helps us both look at our differences and our common ground? Okay. Anybody who is a a, a, a well-educated student of the Enneagram who met my son, BJ, who's a gay four, who's 30 years old, who grew up in Texas, almost anybody who's a student of the Enneagram would immediately say, wow, as a four, that must have been really hard. People would say to a male eight, if our son was a gay male eight, then Enneagram-wise people would say, uh, did that experience of being in the South and trying to figure out who you are and who you are in relationship to other people and finding yourself in the queer community, did that just make you angry? Because it would make an eight angry and it would make a four sad. But the bottom line is neither one would feel like they belong. My theory is that um, these nine ways of seeing raise the conversation so that we can talk about um, who we are and how we identify and move on. Yeah, I like I, I hear I hear that. And I think there's something really important in that of, of that kind of idea of like it helps us identify and then move on because I feel like there's complexity in there that I I don't know that I'm able to put language around that moving on part is I think what in a way we all kind of yearned for but in a way of moving on that acknowledges who we are as different particular beings exactly exactly and so when you say that you are a gay male seven that I then I know a lot and when I say I'm a straight female too, then you know a lot. The, if, if we feel a disconnect in terms of, of identification, then my question is, why don't we feel a disconnect in terms of any gram number? We're not all the same number. And we find that to be interesting. And in my uh, stream of uh, the history of learning the Enneagram, it, it It is becoming the conversation that your Enneagram number is determined more by genetic predisposition than by environment, hmm. right? And so we are um, uh, created with all of the identities that are now uh, understood to make up the queer community. And that's interesting. It makes us interesting. It doesn't have to, to mean that some people are in and some people are out. And so the reason I identify as a child of God is that's the only place I can find the stand where everybody's in. That, that being able to stand in a place of where everybody is in and where we're all in, maybe because of our differences in instead of in spite of them, as I feel like we're often kind of enculturated to believe Exactly. Exactly. And I I think there are people who feel more sure that they're in if somebody's out. And I'm just not one of those people. That's not how I'm put together. But I have compassion for people who are put together that way. 
you know, if you're put together where you are a supporter of insiders and outsiders, that doesn't mean you're an outsider, right? If, if, if your big belief system is that everybody's in, then everybody's in. This, this is a little bit of a shift out of, out of this conversation. Um, and, but still around the Enneagram, I'm, I'm, I'm curious around. So my first exposure to the Enneagram, um, was through Richard Rohr and I listened to, I think he has like a, a 12 hour lecture on it. Um, and that was my first kind of diving into it. Mm-hmm. Um, he says often, uh, especially in the introduction to that, that the Enneagram is not a parlor game. Um, and I'm curious about that because I feel like a lot of, as the Enneagram has kind of become popularized over the last few years, it has kind of turned into this game of what's your Enneagram number and take this test online. And and I'm curious around that and kind of what your thoughts on that are and maybe how the Enneagram differs from that popular kind of parlor game that it, in some ways it has become. Sure. Um, well, you know, there's two sides to everything, everything. So there's two sides to this. Um, I've been teaching for 25 years. So the reality that the Enneagram is really a hot topic right now is kind of fun. And I have a lot of concerns because you've heard me teach. So you know that I'm 100% opposed to tests. I think the 140 question test uh, from uh, Don Rizzo and Russ Hudson is the best. Um, I still am a believer that the Enneagram should be taught orally. So I'm, if, if I'm having a hard time and I think Rizzo and Hudson taught me so much, I couldn't possibly name everything I've learned from them or from all the other Enneagram people who went before me. Like I, I learned from all of them and they all have a lot to offer me. And I hope I have some little something to put into the conversation that adds to what they have to offer. But your Enneagram number is determined by motivation and not by behavior. And there is no way that a 10 question quiz can get to that. There's no way. So I put no validity in 10 question quizzes, zero. And I'm sad that the Enneagram, because it is ancient and wise and spiritual and helpful, and it could be how we find our way back to concern about the common good and a, a new way of looking at community. It, it makes me sad that it's being reduced to uh, a quiz and then you know your number and then you start assigning numbers to other people and then uh, um, it, it, uh, it loses uh, so much. It just loses so much. Not everybody is going to come to an event where I'm going to teach for eight hours. And um, I get that. And there are people who teach it in different ways. I, we developed Enneagram curriculum so that you can learn your number in 12 sessions with videos and workbooks and stuff like that. Like there are other ways, but all of them require more than a quiz. And all of them require an ability to uh, see ourselves as we were when we were 20, before we had to take all the edges off of our numbers or adapt and adapt and adapt to keep a job or to find a place in the world. 
So in that sense, if we went back to the previous question, then I would say that I think uh, a challenge for people in the queer community in finding or discovering or being able to hear their Enneagram number would come in that many of them grew up in homes or uh, communities or churches where they felt like they had to make lots of adjustments to who they are and how they see, and they have to adapt a lot in order to cover or to compensate for being a member of the queer community, then I think it's harder for them to find their number because it's it, it, it's before all of that, or I, I don't know how else I would say that. And so I, I think we have to allow a lot to fall away. And we live in a culture that doesn't ever talk about allowing. Um. I don't know what else to say about that. I, yeah. I may have gotten off topic and you can bring mm. me right back. Well, no, I, I think like, I mean, you just said we, we live in a culture that I, I can't remember exactly what you said that doesn't allow allowing. <laughs> right. Could you say That's more no about that? Yeah. Well, we just, we all grew up believing that we have to make something happen, that we have to make our way in the world, that we have to get up every day and make a new way or a new path or a new something. And I, I just think we need to wake up in the mornings and find our place in what God's already doing. And all of this making a new way is uh, to use a criticism that people have about the Enneagram. I think making a new way is, is reductive. There is already a way. I think politically we need to look for a third way. I think in terms of theology, we need to look for a third way. I, th- I think we're, we need to look for a way that's not either or. I think we need to create space for both and. And I think it's really hard to do that when you feel isolated and judged and alone. But we're not going to get anywhere uh, for my grandchildren, who range in age from going to be born in August to 12. My grandchildren are not going to live in a different world world in relationship to uh, gender identity. Is that the right way to say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not going to live in a different world if we keep dividing. So for, for me, I would rather have us divide by one of nine Enneagram numbers and then find one another using that language. Does that seem awfully naive? No, I, <laughs> no I think like... I, I I mean, it sounds like if if I'm hearing what you're saying, it, it sounds like the Enneagram has kind of provided a, a place to maybe rest in what's what's already going on. You, you use the language of what God's already doing in the world as a way of then moving forward together instead of trying to strive for maybe clearing a new path. I mean, when you say think of your, your book title, like The Road Back to You. It's, or The it's Path a, Between Us. My new book yes. is The Path Between Us, right? Yeah. There's nothing in my new book that I'm aware of in The Path Between Us, which is a book about relationships. I don't think there's a single thing in there that that every reader with, regardless of gender identity. So let, let me give you an example. In our family, and now I've been, remember, I've been teaching for 25 years. My children are well-versed in the Enneagram. But in our family, we uh, occasionally say, and we're together quite a bit. All of my children live here in the Dallas area. 
and uh, we are a close but not enmeshed family. And um, often in our family, people we will each are, are collectively say about BJ, our son, who he's such a four. Oh my gosh, BJ is such a four. And infrequently, like not very often at all, somebody will say, BJ is so gay. Or we'll say to BJ, you are so gay. And what I'm saying is, difference is much more obvious in Enneagram discussion that in, than it is in gender identity discussion. And our family. Now, I understand not every family is like our family. I get that. And I, I, I get all the prejudice and all the struggles and all the fears and all the things that have to do with how people were taught and brought up. I get all that. I'm just saying, I, I think, I think we could have healthier conversations about that if people knew their, if, if people knew a, a moderate amount of Enneagram wisdom. Yeah. I, I I hear in that, um, and and I hear in that kind of like a, a hope for like because what you're describing is something that I feel like I hope for in the larger world of where I mean it's what we were just talking about of where our particularity is is noticed and recognized, but it's not this defining characteristic that that keeps us apart and different from each other. Exactly, and that I feel like is what we're we're yearning for in this world and it sounds like the, you, I, go ahead do you think do you think the whole question about um being queer is the, it, do you think that's really what it's about i you know I, I my husband's a pastor and um i love the church i don't uh, always agree with the church and the church doesn't always agree with me but i love the church and i've I've tried to break up with the church a couple of times. I just can't do it. But I, I, um, I know this. When there is conflict in an individual church, not denomination, but church, it's very seldom about what it's about. It's, it's almost always about something else, right? The fight's really about something else. And I, I think there is common ground to stand on with all people that I've ever met and just wanting to be known. And that takes a little bit of time and it takes some grace and some mercy and some humility uh, and allowing, allowing people to be who they are today and allowing room for them to be who they might be tomorrow. Yeah. I wanted to be a basketball coach and now I, I'm an author and I travel all over the country and teach the Enneagram. It's, it's a, I never thought I'd be here, but I was allowed to follow a path that led me to here. Maybe to close, um, for people who are wanting to start diving deeper into the Enneagram, um, I know your center has so many resources. Where would you point people if they're kind of like listening to this conversation and being like, I want more? Um, all right. Well, um, go to our website, lifeinthetrinityministry.com, um, or go to Suzanne Stabile. You, everything's at Suzanne Stabile. You can get to everything I do. Um, but um, I, I, we just released a new recording of a Know Your Number workshop that I did in Portland last year. 
and you can get it on iTunes in individual numbers. Uh, they're working on the whole thing being available because it's too much content, I guess. You know, I'm technologically very challenged. <laughs> um, so you can get a Know Your Number download through our center. Um, if you um, go to SuzanneDeBeal.com and then all the other things that follow that, you know, like my Twitter account has stuff about it today and Facebook has stuff about it. Um so I'm real excited. It was just released yesterday. So that's a new way to hear an oral teaching of a Know Your Number workshop, number by number. I think to hear it orally is the best. That doesn't mean that I'm saying that hearing it orally from me is the best. I think orally is the best if it's done and offered and taught by somebody who really knows the Enneagram. Second thing, I think The Road Back to You is a really, really good primer. Uh, I wrote that book with Ian Cron, and uh, it's a it's a good book, and it's very helpful. I think the next step that people uh, want after they know their number is work on relationships, and that's why I wrote the Path Between. And the Path Between Us is very practical. It it tells you exactly how to get along with people who are not your number. It tells you exactly how to understand people who are not your number. It's a, it it could be a real help, I think. And um, one of the things that Joe and I have done is we've walked with a lot of young adults as they uh, came out to their parents. And the Enneagram has been so helpful because we can, uh, if people can even have a pretty good idea of what number their parents are, we can tell them and teach them how to tell their story so that their parents can hear it. You know, people don't all hear the same, right? Um, yeah. So I, I, I think the new oral tradition is going to be great. Path Between Us is relationship-wise, I think, going to be very helpful. The feedback, it's only been out three weeks, but the feedback's really good. And um, The Road Back to You is a great primer. And then after that, uh, there are lots of resources online at our center. Great. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. This has been such a pleasure. Excuse me for coughing. Can okay. I say one more thing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I say one more thing. Here's what I really believe to be true about the Enneagram. I believe that um, it tells us who we are, but more importantly, it teaches us who we could be. Yes. I, I feel like that's such a... I mean, just thinking about it in my own life, just the way the Enneagram has has helped me see who I could be, who I'm not, who I am. Like that, that feels so deeply true. Um, yeah. And I think if we, if we ever, and you know, I'm, I'm not really looking for work, but um, if we ever do another podcast, then uh, maybe for some people who have had time to do a little bit of initial Enneagram work, then we could talk about specific challenges in each of the nine numbers for what it means to be queer and living in a world that is um, uh, not always hospitable. Um, I, I, I think every number would struggle in different ways. That would be fascinating. And, and I just want to say that it's such an honor for me for you to invite me to be on your podcast. I, um, 
I look for ways to honor my gay son. And um, so this, every, every deep feeling that I have about how much I love all four of my children, I think looks for expression in the work that I do. Thank you. Like this is, this is an honor and, and a gift too. So I really, really appreciate your time. You're so welcome. For more of Suzanne's resources on the Enneagram, head over to her website, lifeinthetrinityministry.com. To find out more about Suzanne, you can go to her website, suzannesabile.com. She's on Twitter and Instagram, at Suzanne Sabile. And be sure to pick up a copy of her new book, The Path Between Us, An Enneagram Journey to Healthy Relationships, wherever you buy books. Quirology is on Twitter and Instagram, at QuirologyPod. Or you can tweet me directly, at Matthias Roberts. Quirology is produced with support from Natalie England, Tim Schrader, Christian Hayes, and other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help support Quirology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. Another really easy way to do that is by leaving a rating or a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next week, y'all, bye. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.